Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. Got Katie Flower here, official show of UTHDynasty.com. Got some great premium podcasts coming out this time of year, looking at breakout rates, refining historical strategy so you can make better decisions for your dynasty teams. And we're in this doldrum about four or six weeks still to go before we get legitimate 2022 NFL season machinations of moving pieces, maybe some early injuries, and what's going on during training camp in the preseason. So we're going to go over some macro things, setting the table for having your most successful season. Yet last week, Katie and I talked about quarterback, running back, how to improve your team. If you're weak at the position, first of all, the overarching statement is you might have indications you might be weak, But it's tough to know at this point in the season, especially at running back that we talked about a week ago, am I weak? Because uh, you don't know what week one looks like and what is ahead for that. Now, wide receiver tight end, you may have a little better indication because it's a slower moving position in general. So Katie, let's start with wide receiver. If you're notably weak at the position, we're talking existing leagues, what is there to do and what are some of the toolbox elements when you go about addressing the position? Well. I'm not going to address wide receiver until I know that the team is is ready to go uh, cooking with gas, but it's also a position where there's so much sameness. Um, and, and that's where you can find the market value the best. And so I'm all about finding and fixing a position the cheapest possible route. If you look at wide receivers, there's a handful, I mean, literally just a handful at the top that are difference makers, but on a week by week, game by game basis, there's a high variance between the next 30 or so guys, even though they average within a point of each other, it's, you want a guy that's going to be able to win you a week, but if he loses you a week, you got to take the good with the bad. And, and there's so many undervalued guys, guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Evans, Mike Williams, Adam Thielen, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, DeAndre Hopkins because of the suspension. But DeAndre Hopkins and CeeDee Lamb are right now within 0.2 average on a weekly basis. And yet you can get DeAndre Hopkins right now for literally pennies. CeeDee Lamb is going at almost Jamar Chase prices. And again, so I wouldn't necessarily go for the top of the pile, you can get three or four wide receivers very quickly, very inexpensively. Again, just look for those Rodney Dangerfields, the guys that people are overlooking, and yet they still produce at the same rate, if not higher than the ones that people are paying up to get. Yeah, I think that that veteran stink factor. You know, we talked about it uh, about the quarterback position a week ago. We talk about it pretty frequently that. You typically have to go mid-career or older 
But I'll go back to the point of you start banking on a bunch of young wide receivers as your weekend, week out options that aren't even clarified number ones for their team. And it's dangerous because all of a sudden they're ancillary and the up down factor, they might only have two or three good games the whole year. And good luck predicting those. And are you plugging and playing them the entire time? So you can build the pretty roster that looks good, the Elijah Moores of the world, you know, and like, oh, Brandon Ayuk is my wide receiver too. Okay, well, let's see how that works out because historically that's relatively risky, you know, and the the tried and true veterans. And I, I set the general parameter from what I'm seeing this offseason at 26 years old. I set it at 26 because Chris Godwin is 26. Um, and I think he's one of the better values out there profile wise. But you mentioned a lot of them. You know, you mentioned Adam Thielen's of the world, Hopkins, Evans. I mean, you go into the 29-year-old or or older bucket, and there's some big values. So I, I think that is job number one of saying, I feel good about the standing on their NFL depth chart. They've been there, done that for multiple seasons. And you start crossing guys off that are a lot more expensive that have not done those things or do not project in specific roles like that. And it's amazing how short the list gets, even if you say, oh, we have no uh, no age parameters on this. So generally, you do have to go older and back half of their prime to find A, good values, B, steady profiles, and C, projected roles that you are confident in for this coming season. Yeah. I mean, even guys like Amari Cooper, who I'm not as thrilled about, uh, is a value. Brandon Cooks, uh, Brandon Cooks and DK Metcalf finished the season within a tenth of a point on average of each other. Yet DK Metcalf, you've got to spend up. And will he ever produce in, you know, the Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson range? And will they do it consistently? That's always the battle with wide receiver. You're looking for alpha or bust. I either want the dog, the guy that's going to be the guy on his team, or I want a bunch of other receivers on the cheap that in the aggregate kind of playing money ball with them. Any given week, I've got enough of a supply and I can go ahead. If I've got to start three, I can just pick which three have the best matchups and, and hope for the best. My strength is going to be in my running backs once I get my team going. And then you just continue to fill in those spots. You try not to get to where you need three or four at the same position. But if you're only backfilling one or two, a third round pick last year got me Hunter Renfro. A third round pick could easily get you Robert Woods right now or Adam Thielen Thielen for a late second or third. Yeah. Right. And, and that hit rate on a third round rookie pick number one, especially if you spend it at wide receiver. What's that? Especially if you spend it at wide receiver, especially if you're going for that position. So while you're on your clock in the, in the rookie draft, especially this year, if somebody sees a, a player that they think is falling and it's whatever position, it doesn't matter, see what kind of aging wide receiver you could pull off of them. Say, okay, well, I'll take Adam Thielen. I'll give you this 3.02. And you can get Isaiah Pacheco or some you know crapshoot that may or may not pan out, and I'll take the guy that has produced – you're not, you can't predict injury. This isn't a game about trying to predict injury and you're not, it's not a huge investment. So it's not like you're sinking a lot of cost into it. Yeah. And I think the thing we've circled around for a while is just being more and more open to 
you know, maybe not a first rounder, but something later in the second round, third round, fourth round, you got to keep kicking those tires. You got to keep knocking on doors from now, but also especially September, October, November, when you have these teams falling out of it and you got to put them in their position where, okay, I'm not contending, falling out of the race. And I've got this Adam Thielen on my roster. Like, they're going to view it as a complete albatross helping nobody. If anything, it might hurt my draft position by a spot or two. And I want to get this old guy off my roster because he's going to be unsellable in the off season. If I'm contending next year, he's going to be, you know, or I'm not even thinking that way because I'm in the current season of non-competitiveness that he's going to be 33 or 34 or, you know, whatever, whatever uh, doomsday scenario they're painting themselves. And that's when they sell for your third that's competitive for next year. And you get them for half a season. Plus, you still get a profile. It's not like you're going to cut them in the off season. So I, I really think from now, but especially once the season rolls and you get teams non-competitive, the older wide receiver becomes a, a really nice value. And I, you already mentioned it with, with rookie drafting. Uh, rookie draft in general, I mean, be super picky with the profiles because run wide receiver takes a while to develop. It's really interesting. Outside of basically top five picks in the NFL draft, Jamar Chase, you think back, you think of guys like AJ Green. You don't get top five in every draft. You don't even get it probably in every other draft. And other than that, it's a really low hit rate in the first couple of years. And so I think back to all the fantasy articles we used to get the year three breakout wide receiver. And everyone's gotten impatient. Everyone's gotten this scope and impression that it's year one, year two at the latest. No, it's still a slow moving position to get all the way home and to have someone you feel good about in your lineup repetitively. And so I think in, you got to be super picky with the profiles that you are selecting, where, where it's round one, it's elite day two, but man, like... You want to be lean and mean, and this whole idea of addressing it by just throwing rookie picks at incoming rookies at wide receiver in your annual draft is one that I would just lay to the side and say, that's not really how you address the position. It's best player, it's best profile. And that's not to say I don't draft rookie wide receivers. It says that can't be a focus of what your team needs. We say it all the time. You're going to trade when you need to address something, Katie traded for Hunter Renfro. You can make trades for veterans, but drafting and putting them in the cupboard is not really in the first year or two of their career, how you're truly addressing the position. That's a slow burn. And that's more of a longer range uh, way of supplementing. And the thing is with rookies, if you go in with the understanding that you're going to just put them on the back burner for a couple of years, and you've got the depth in your line up to do so, then that's great. Let those guys simmer and try to determine whether or not they look like they are getting hype based on what they're actually doing or getting hype based on hearsay. And if a guy is getting hype that you drafted a year or two ago at wide receiver, they're getting hype overhyped and they haven't done anything, trade them get that undervalued asset plus something else, and then you can continue to churn out your, your wide receiver core. The, the bridge, the super bridge, while your younger guys are still simmering, that works well. That's a great model. I've done it a hundred, you know, a lot, and that works well. 
But now these are the guys that are the bridge players and the super bridge players, the ones that we're talking about acquiring. That's how you can get your wide receiver core right much faster. The last point I'll make at wide receiver is, please, this is the opposite of running back. Don't go with the volume approach. Don't say, I'm just going to get all slappy and I'm going to throw three, four, five plus extra roster spots at the position. That to me is a bad scenario. I would prefer that you make a trade of a rookie pick to get someone that can consolidate that roster spot and attention that you're going to give the position because you start doing that. And honestly, what Katie said, hey, if you got if you have a hole, legitimate, like, ah, I got two injuries, I've got a bye week, and I've got someone I can't trust for anything. If it's sub 30 man rosters, you can just go to the waiver wire. Go to the waiver wire. You can probably find a top 50, let's say, play for the week with a matchup. Maybe there's an injury. Uh, there's a good, you know, just a guy that can be in that wide receiver two or three mix for their team. And you take a shot that they score a touchdown or get five, six targets. And you're, it's a streaming thing. And what I don't like is if people take roster spots away from running back where they're legitimately an injury away from, I know I'm going to put them in my lineup or they're highly likely to be in my lineup. And then you're taking a bunch of these shots on peripheral wide receivers that an injury doesn't clarify a lot for you anyway for your lineup. So be very careful about saying, I'm going to paste together extra roster spot attention for the wide receiver position because you hoarding those players from the waiver wire now or in August is really not going to produce different results than I need a guy, it's week five. Okay, let me assess the landscape and just do the best I can putting that together for my wide receiver three position as an example. And my last comment on the wide receivers, just like any other position, don't have just one name, have a handful of guys that you're targeting. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Make yourself a list. Don't be only focused on the one asset because that will drive the price up. If you've got a tier of wide receivers, a pool of guys that you can choose from, that gives you targets on every owner's team. Somebody will make a deal with you. Right. Because it's a voluminous position, right? I mean, everyone's got a bunch of wide receivers. So to say that none of them are affordable, none of them fit your criteria. And I love what you said, because play the market. Don't get pigeonholed and saying, you know, we might say certain player names, but if one of them turns out to be uh, vice gripped by somebody, just go somewhere else, knock on other doors and, and go for a similar price, a similar type player and, and go from there. So tight end, I wanted to say one overarching point, which is in start one, no frills, no premiums. In general, don't freak out. I've said it's important to have one of those top guys. If you can get them, if you have them, great. If you don't though, do the best. I would say start really cheap. We say this a lot at, at these positions, but start cheap because tight end eight versus 20 is not as big of a deal at as other positions. So the first thing I would say is don't freak out. You can be relatively patient. And in your typical format, again, no premiums, 25-man roster, something in the 20s, it's not that big of a deal. And I've won championships. I've performed well. If you float that position versus any other, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Start one tight end. It's kind of like start one quarterback for me. I just want to have a few healthy guys, guys that I can stream based on the matchup, but you're absolutely right. Once you're outside of that top four or five guys, it drops off real quick. And the averages are very similar from 
five through 17. And, and, it's, then, low, and, and then it's low it's, numbers. That's the other thing. I mean, you're talking about how many points per game are you really going to affect it? Right. If you don't have one of those top four or five guys, the average points per game of the difference that they can make is minimal. So again, I agree with you. Go for that cheaper Rodney Dangerfield target that nobody really cares about or is looking at, and they can be just every bit as stable. Like even a guy like Hunter Henry doesn't have a lot of shine on him anymore because he's getting middle-aged and he plays for the Patriots. And now you got a second year quarterback, but you know, he he's right there with Tyler Higby, Mike Kosicki. Same Pat so, like Army. Tyler Higby should be really cheap, right? I mean, no yeah. one really thinks he has legitimate top four or five upside, but that's the point. Like you can probably get find someone's tight end three on their depth chart. If they truly are, you think they are an upgrade over what you have, you might be able to pay like a fourth round pick for him because they're just a roster clogger to the other team. But that's what I would say is look at the waiver wire. I mean, Jordan and I have this running running line about CJ Uzama in like a two tight end league because no one gives him any respect. And it's like, but he he has been a, a quality floor option for two, three, four seasons now. And that's the type of, in a one tight end, you can set your bar a lot higher than that and just say, what's available out there? The waiver wire in a 20 or 24 man league is legitimate uh, streaming options, just like one quarterback. There will be starting options available to you. And so playing the matchups or you take a couple shots in August and then how week one, week two turn out, maybe you just shift to one guy, you let the other guy loose or you find clarity early in the season. Absolutely. And the thing with, with tight end, once you get outside the top four or five, if you're in the top four or five at tight end, you're generally going to be there year over year over year. That part remains the same. So if you can find somebody that's a rebuilding team that has a Travis Kelsey or that has one of the older of those top guys, you might be able to get a decent deal on them. You may have to give up some pretty assets that are really nothing more than roster cloggers for you, but you give three or four in a package for a guy like Kelsey. Are you really giving up that much? I guess it's, it depends on, on what they're asking for or what you get or what you give. But I try to, I try to get an older guy like that just in sheer volume. Like try to, and try to run the wheels off. Right. right. I mean, you just say, I got Offering a second may not do it, but if you offer a second plus a wide receiver plus third round picks or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's masking what the real offer is. Yeah. Uh, One of my other points is right in that line, which is if you're going to make an upgrade via trade, make sure it's significant. Make sure you're getting into that top grouping because otherwise... I'll just say, what are we doing here? You're looking around going, well, I, you know, I had someone that I, I viewed in the tight end 10 to 20 range, but and I, I, I spent that plus a pick and I got to someone that might be in the tight end 7, 8, 9 range. Like, what's the difference? Like, what are we doing here? I mean, if they don't join the top group or they aren't already there, uh, I, I don't think you're moving the needle much and you're, you're kind of spinning your wheels, uh, you know, making donuts for the sake of donuts. Right. Now, the other thing that I will say and kind of in reverse, if you are playing in a premium where you've got to start too tight end, I don't care thing. how many you've got, you don't have enough. And trading one of your tight ends to the competition, 
you're helping them and potentially hurting yourself, even if it may seem like you've got enough with the guys. Again, there's a handful of guys at the top. And then after that, you want to have as many of the other options so that when they start to hit, you've got them on your you roster. Options. You have options to trade or start. Well, you do. But again, you don't want to trade just to trade because then you're helping the competition and potentially hurting yourself. So I wouldn't say necessarily hoard tight ends, but if it just ends up that you have more than the other, you don't have to make that trade. Well, you start doing the math and two tight end, and you've mentioned this with two quarterback. I mean, it's tough to be too deep. Like I have one two tight end league and I I, I just drafted a ton of them in the first year or 18 months of the league's existence because I wasn't going to let the league off the hook. And I still have four or five what people in the format would deem quality options. And I've gotten a lot of tire kicking to, to have me give one up. I haven't done it. And the big reason is because, well, you can say four is plenty in a start too. Well, what happens when you have one injury and a bye week? Well, you have the exact number. So if something goes off the rails and a guy misses half the year, then you pretty much have the right number at four. So, And that's four of maybe the top 15, 20 guys. So it's really, really tough to say, I truly have a lot of excess. And that's the other thing. I mean, two tight end is, it's so difficult to fix. And we talk about that on our interrogation room shows all the time. It's tough to fix post-startup draft, to truly fix. Because the mental hurdle of what a Kyle Pitts or Pat Fryermuth or Cole Komet or whoever you want to put into it that has appeal within a current rookie class, how high they will go in a start to rookie draft that year, it's a real mental hurdle to get over. I have to take these guys how high. So that's part of it. And the other part is then you're going to be stuck with later day two, day three guys. How many roster spots are there in the league? How many do you want to allocate towards the position for some dart throw types that you hope develop and flash? So in, in two tight end, it's just tough to fix. So I would rewind. One of my biggest points is just fix it as early as possible. And that's the opening rounds of a startup draft because man, too tight end. Katie, have you ever had a listener, uh, a Twitter follower yourself, maybe in a learning lesson years ago where you were in a too tight end league and it was bad out of the startup draft? What was your fix? Like, How did you recommend that they ultimately fix it or you fixed it yourself? I haven't. I've been lucky because part of part of that is by the time I started getting into two tight end leagues, I'd been in enough dynasty leagues to know that was the kind of position you don't want to fade in a startup draft. And so I never got myself in that position, but I've seen other people have a heck of a team, except for the fact that they have to start guys off waiver wires that you wouldn't even start and may get lucky to get a point or two out of that player that particular week. Start two is tough. Yeah. I had one league that I, I just mentally, this was probably at least five years ago, maybe more. And I could not get around it uh, in the startup draft. I was like, take what player where? So I, I did not, um, I did not go down that hole of addressing it strongly in the startup draft. And I, I want to say it was three years I was dying at the position, exactly what Katie just mentioned. And it was a Devi league. So fortunately, I took guys like Kyle Pitts of the Devi route, or um, I think it was maybe Dallas Goddard or Noah Fant, or I took Devi shots. And that's not recommended, but in two tight end and in my situation, I was like, I got to do something because the trade market was 
very tough. You couldn't trade for top tight ends because it's start two. And again, nobody has enough. So that's the existing market that you have to... And that's what we talk about reverse engineering. If you know that's going to be the case in a two tight end, you've got to go all the way to the very beginning and it's going to hurt. And you might draft three tight ends in the first four or five rounds, but that's the way it goes because it's it's going to be so much more difficult than the other positions to fix. And I did not contend strongly until I fixed tight end and it took a few years and I had a good team otherwise. So I'm a living, breathing example uh, of what happens when, you know, I think I waited till around 26 in the startup draft to take a tight end just because I couldn't believe how fast the position went and how uncomfortable I was mentally transitioning to, to saying the position is highly valuable and you have to take them over quality options at other positions that I otherwise wouldn't normally. So, so I have a, a, a hands-on lesson on how painful it is. But And you're going to spend a lot of time, attention, and capital if you uh, just ignore it. Ignore it and think it's going to go away and think that you'll be good enough to over over uh, compensate and overproduce at the other positions for two dead spots in your lineup all the time when people are starting Kelsey and someone else against you. Good, good luck uh, trying to legitimately win with any predictable fashion there. All right. Anything else to tie in, Katie? Uh, that's pretty much it. Okay. I uh, got a couple example trades this week and want to talk some strategy here. So let's talk about Rashad Penny a little bit. It's an interesting marketplace for him. He's 26. He could be the week one starter. He could build on what he did last year. He also could be oft injured and maybe Kenneth Walker uh, impinges upon any predictability with Rashad Penny. So this was in Superflex. We got Rashad Penny for 207 this year. So that's right in that maybe Brian Robinson zone. Uh, it's a pretty interesting running back landscape. What do you think about Penny mid-career here? How many chances did he get to start from this year and beyond for 207? I'd rather have Penny than the 207 in this year's class. I, I don't think even in Superflex um, that there's any running backs that are comparable to his potential talent. I'm not guaranteeing that he's not going to be hurt. I'm not guaranteeing that he's not going to have a thorn in his side with Kenneth Walker, but I think that's a good bet. I'd rather bet on Penny than the 207. Yeah, and doesn't Penny feel like the player that you're not going to really – get from the market. The market has already cooled on him enough and is scorned enough that do you think in September, October, if he's rocking that lead job and it's shades of what the last season closed with, do you think a first is still in play with Penny in the trade market? Or do you think that that is pretty much sailed? I think that ship has sailed because people are weary of his injuries and the inconsistencies and they just drafted Kenneth Walker. So they'll think of that as, yeah, he's doing great right now, but it's a rental player because I don't think that's going to sustain. And that doubt, that is enough to not make him worth a first. I agree. And I think that Penny right now, you just hold him because A, you might get some good, a good amount of starts this year. He's 26. If he does reverse the curse of his, of his injury and durability stuff, Who's to say with a round one, we've seen his upside. We've seen the peak to pretend like he's not going to get chances beyond this year. I think he's just going to be one of those players that he's a stick of dynamite. You have him on your bench. And when you feel like you have some clarity, you're going to roll him out. And frankly, 207, how many clarified starts are you going to get in the first in the next two years from, from that pick if you pick a rookie? That's the other part. Penny's going to give you more of that. He's going to probably have a higher ceiling. And 
it's okay for players to erode market-wise on your on your roster. And it feels like Penny might be one of those players. He could have won you the title last year. He could be a reason you get a buy or win your division this year. And who knows what happens next year? He'll still just be 27. All right, we got we got one more here. Javante Williams. We haven't discussed Javante Williams a lot. So Melvin Gordon comes back, Katie, and his market doesn't move much at all. He feels like one of those, well, he's really young. Well, I liked how he looked last year. So I'm going to make him a top five dynasty running back because there's not uh, a lot of other options or truly young competition for those spots. So before I say what the trade is, what's your thoughts on Javante Williams, the projection ahead that he's going to be this dominant force? Because he hasn't it's not clarified right now. It wasn't really clarified last year. You could use him as a flex, I remember, maybe a low running back too in lineup decisions. But what do you think about the projecting Javante Williams ahead and the assumption that he will be awesome and that let's just value him like that right now? I think it's dangerous just like valuing Trey Lance as a QB1 without seeing him. I mean, you've seen flashes, but um, that's where you can lose your shirt. If you're buying Javante Williams... I think you're buying him at close to his, what you hope that his peak is right now. And whenever that happens, it's a hard sell for me. I think he's overrated. Well, the time value too, right? I mean, he's valued like he's going to have a Jonathan Taylor season, right? Like he basically has to be an elite running back one. And I, even if you say it's flip-flops and Gordon is the run 1B and Javante Williams is the 1A this year, Gordon is still one of the best running back twos or split guys in the whole NFL. So why do you assume it's going to be like 65-35, you know, or 70-30? You kind of need it to be an elite split. And Javante Williams, let's rewind the clock. I mean, he was in a split in college. He's been a split in the NFL. And that's not to say that he's not a good enough player to carry his his own lunch pail. But I'm just saying we haven't really seen that dominant... Oh yeah, you're going to do it for a, a couple months, and we, we've seen that out of your profile. I just think, especially at running back, when there's a lot of guys. I mean, running back three, four, five in dynasty is just for a committee guy is unreal. I mean, I look at the other guys up there; no one else is projected to be in some committee. He's the only one. So we talk about outliers. He feels like an outlier. Well, the other thing is he finished RB twenty six on average points his rookie season, you know, who was RB 25, some old guy that's no valued by the market, Melvin Gordon. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. Big committee. Like I said, big committee. And we, yeah, uh, yeah so- we saw Javante Williams with what did he have one clarified start? If memory serves something like that. He scored well, he scored 20 something points. I, I remember it, but Melvin Gordon's not going away. Round one guy. He's still in his twenties. Guy can play. Guy can play. And, and it just seems like it's going to be within that 60, 40 split zone. Of, of workload. And they've got a quarterback upgrade. Who's to say it's not a little better passing environment and they're just a good team. And to predict that, you know, where the ball's going. Right. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's, that, that is stranger danger to me. Um, so here was the trade a long way to go, but here's the trade Javante Williams for Jamison Williams and a 23 first in Superflex. So you're essentially getting maybe like 105 to 107 this year, plus a 23 first. I'd, I'd rather have Jamison Williams in the first. The 23 first has a bunch of running backs that I would take. I mean, it. When you get there, you'll, you'll probably take them talent wise and profile wise 
around where Javante Williams Super would flex. Be. I would, I would just guess there's going to be three quarterbacks of note. So that leaves nine yeah. other players. And I know of at least four or five running backs that could potentially be in that. That's not even talking about wide receivers and tight ends. Yeah. And that's almost the full first round. I would definitely take the first plus Jamison Williams. I really like Jamison Williams as a prospect. I think he's going to come out slow and there will be a lot of buy windows for him. But even with that, I think uh, that would be a, a good bet. I'll take yeah. when, I, when I saw two, basically two first equivalency for a running back that is still in a committee and has not hit to a massive degree. And I, I mean, you say what's changing? For this year, the answer is nothing. Two firsts for that. Yeah. Two firsts. Like he, and again, Javante Williams is good enough that if Gordon goes down, you know, in August and Williams runs with this job, he absolutely could be a strong running back one. But again, you can't count on that. Like you're basically buying a guy that's, that's dependent on an injury as it presently stands. And it's not like they brought in Melvin Gordon and Gordon is running on fumes and he was on the Jets last year. He was on the team last year. We literally saw this. We saw this exact thing last year. And yet, oh, change is happening. That's kind of like the, when I see people, oh, well, this wide receiver is going to overtake the wide receiver one because he's younger and we think he's on an upward trajectory. No, it probably isn't going to happen. You probably need that wide receiver gone or completely, you know, 33 years old. I remember the Roddy versus Julio thing. Like you need the other guy like on fumes slash gone before this assumption that it's just going to be a massive takeover. Um, Katie, any other thing for dynasty trading and uh, action planning and thoughts this week? No, just again, try to figure out when you're trading with somebody is the player, is this the best time of the year to buy that player? Are they being hyped right now and you're not getting a discount? You're paying full dollar. Try to get a discount. Whatever time of year that you're making a trade, try to be the one getting the discount. If you're going to be trading all in on a player, that should be closer to when you need that player the most, either right before the playoffs or, and it still needs to be a dynasty trade. We always talk about make it, frame it as a dynasty trade, something that even if it goes south and the player gets injured, that you are still fine with them for the following year and the year after, uh, et cetera. But just do your best to buy low and, and sell high. Yeah, I think it's interesting with the veteran profiles that you sit and the next couple months, veterans are going to come up in value just a little bit. Rookie draft time, and eh, not so much. You can get some good trades done. I think it cycles. And now people are thinking about their lineups a little more. More teams are thinking about being competitive in July and August. But then what happens in September? People start out one and three, and all of a sudden that player cycles back to not having a lot of appeal for them or a lot of appeal in the marketplace. Whereas you get in October, November, and as you said, you're contending that player and that profile, that older veteran is valuable. So it's interesting. You have to look and like you said, be specific about what's the team and what's the time frame for the year and what's the asset that I'm discussing. And that can really shape your decisions on who to go after, who's a more reasonable target in the circumstance of player, profile, time of year, and then the team they're on. And that's, that's, that's what makes Dynasty fun is you have a few different leagues, you have a few different settings for your own team, 
but you're looking at certain players to acquire, they might be on different team settings, different team environments for their competitive level. And that shapes when you might go after them uh, in a potential trade. So find Katie between episodes, especially, man, you got some two tight end questions. You got a two tight end startup coming up. Ask Katie about how to address the position so that you're not in the position that Chad was about five years ago in terms of scrambling for years at a time. You can find her on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. I'm at Chad Parsons NFL. Reminder, no ads. You got to listen straight through every single week. Support the show by becoming a general manager plus subscriber. You want to check out the UTH trade calculator. Got about 25 league-wide settings, contending, neutral, rebuilding, everything to sculpt your best deals to get your team in tip-top shape for 2022 and beyond, as well as patreon.com slash UTH. You want some bonus content. Tim Torch is on there. We do a weekly show. And starting in about August, we'll do a weekly waiver wire show as well. So lots of good content there. So for Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. Royce Freeman, no, no, no. Swiller says no, no, no. <laughs>